0: The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station.
1: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
0: You're listening to America's Web
2: Radio. It's time now for the Doctor's Lounge Show with Dr. Scott Barber.
3: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber, and you're listening to me on America's Web Radio. We've had a common theme going on for the last several shows, talking about healthcare freedom and looking back over what went down over the last couple of years with the COVID pandemic to help highlight some flaws in our medical system and to try and encourage people to adopt the concept of free market health care and understanding that it is just so important for yourself and your family to have control over their own healthcare decisions and to be able to take an active role in, in how you are treated when you have medical issues and an overbearing government that creates a one size fits all top down uh, healthcare system, socialized medicine in the end is simply in the business of denial of care. And uh, sometimes even worse yet, the political powers and the financial powers that go along with healthcare can actually lead to detrimental treatment of citizens. And I think that we've seen that with great clarity over the last several years. And that's the kind of stuff that I'm trying to point uh, your attention to is so that you can see what happened in the past. I want you all to be able to pay attention, think critically, and make sure that nothing like this happens to us again. We should always be able to ask questions. I was just having this conversation with a medical student the other day. He asked me about my opinion. I was doing an ACL reconstruction, and I used an allograft as opposed to an autograft. Uh, and an allograft is tissue that comes from a cadaver, whereas autograft is tissue that you harvest from the patient uh, themselves. So when you're doing an ACL, uh, which is an anterior cruciate ligament reconstruction, a major ligament in the knee that we commonly re- reconstruct when athletes tear them, you can use autograft where you harvest tissue from the patient. Sometimes people will take the middle third of your patella tendon with uh, some bone. So you kind of chisel out some bone there and, and take the tendon and it's a good graft. But the graft, harvesting that graft creates what we call donor site morbidity, which means you've got to have to hurt the patient a little bit in order to get the graft. And we call that sort of hurting the patient, we call that donor site morbidity. And it's something to consider when you do a a, a ligament reconstruction. Now, I've been trained by a lot of the best guys in orthopedics and sports medicine, and I've done many anterior cruciate ligament reconstructions in high-level athletes, and I've used both autograft and allograft. And over, you know, 30 years of being exposed to this, I have my own opinions Which are not necessarily the right opinions for everybody, but they're my own opinions, and they evolved over a long period of time, meaning I did many ACLs over the years, and I've had successes and failures, and I tried to learn from those failures. And there's also the technical aspect of doing the ACL, meaning you can't just throw the graft in anywhere. You can't just reconstruct the ligament in any old spot. It has to go at an exactly particular place and it's difficult to or it can be difficult to figure out exactly where the best place to drill your tunnels are and to put all your graft material and how do you fix it how do you get the, the graft to stay in there we can use screws and um, other de- devices that help hold the graft into position and allow the patient to rehabilitate while the graft is healing and at, you know at, at certain points In the recovery period, about three months after you first get your anterior cruciate ligament graft, it's at its weakest point. And so I was doing an allograft, meaning I used a cadaver the other day, and I had a medical student in there, and they started asking me some questions. And they were saying, hey, listen, we're being told autograft is the way to go. This is kind of the new craze. And anybody who's been involved in medicine or other scientific endeavors for many, many years and decades You kind of see old becoming new again. You know, it's like things come in style, then they go out of style, then, you know, a decade later, they come back in style. And I can remember older doctors talking to me about certain procedures and things like that. And they used to say, Oh, when I was young, we used to do that, but it didn't work. And we started doing this other thing. And then along comes new people and uh, they start trying to reintroduce old ideas, and right now there seems to be a big push towards doing autograft. And there's nothing wrong with autograft, but in my opinion, because of my own experience, uh, any patient that I have ever done, and I've done many, where I did autograft on one side, or they had autographed on one side, and we did allograft, or sorry, yeah, allograft on the other side. So, one side we used their own tissue, the other side we used cadaver tissue, universally, unequivocally, without question, they always say the side that got the cadaver was a way better experience because that donor site morbidity, the pain and, and difficulty in recovering from that is not insignificant, and patients hate it. Uh, you can look at the literature, and they'll talk about that if you use your own tissue, that it's a little bit better healing uh, than cadaver tissue, but they always compare it in the studies equal graphs, meaning a 10-millimeter graft. Uh, from autograft and a 10 millimeter graft from allograft. But in reality, when I use cadaver tissue, I'm not limited in the size of the graft I can take. So I usually use a much bigger piece of tissue because I don't have to hurt the patient in order to get it. The point I'm trying to make here is we could have very long, boring conversations about the benefits of allograft and autograft and ACL reconstructions. And the answer is n- neither is correct. In some instances, autograph may be the right choice, and in other instances, allograph might be the other choice. But in order to know what we're talking about, we have to be free to debate it. I have to be able to ask questions. I have to be able to make my own assertions. I have to be able to point out problems with the uh, procedure that I don't agree with, and I have to be willing to listen to arguments from the other side advocating their position. That is the scientific method. And so – you can understand why I was perplexed when the whole COVID pandemic came down and people like me and others who were asking questions, uh, were, were perplexed when we were being threatened with losing our license and being condemned for spreading misinformation. Some of us had newspaper, front page newspaper articles written on us about how we're not being punished by the boards. Punished by the boards? What? I'm, I'm simply talking about scientific issues here and I'm asking appropriate questions and, and you know, I, that is the whole process of advancing our knowledge and our understanding of scientific issues. And when I'm told that I can't do these things or when I'm being punished or, or accused of spreading misinformation for doing what I consider to be just basic scientific and normal thought, It makes me wonder, is there an ulterior motive there? And of course, we all know at this point, I don't think it's a big secret that there was a whole lot of financial interest surrounding COVID and there was certain a whole lot of political power that was uh, wielded under the guise of the COVID pandemic. And I want to try and connect some dots with you just so you can see how egregious the whole scenario was. And I'm also going to point out to you, it hasn't ended. The whole COVID scam has not ended. They are not giving in on it. Uh, the vaccine is still a part of the pediatric schedule, which uh, it absolutely blows my mind. And it blows my mind because on the face of it, there is just tons of evidence that, number one, people don't need to be vaccinated against COVID anymore. It's simply not that virulent of a disease. And number two, the vaccines are not safe. I mean at least they're arguably not safe. And that the the data out there is legion enough that we should at least be talking about it. And the fact that we're not allowed to debate it uh, raises my antenna that something is not uh, right. Um, something is rotten in the state of Denmark, as we shall say. I don't know if people still read literature anymore, but uh, that's a little bit of Shakespeare. Um, <clears throat> anyway... I wonder where do you guys remember where you were when the World Health Organization announced that there was a 3.4% COVID mortality rate in early March of 2020 despite tons of evidence showing that it was much lower and we've gone over this a million times uh I want you to hear Lester Holt
1: health organization it- Rate of the coronavirus is rising. 3.4%, 3.4% is higher. Twice as deadly as previous estimates. 3.4%. The state of emergency. emergency. Well, I
2: think the 3.4% is really a false number. Based on a lot of conversations with a lot of people that do this, I think the number is way
0: under 1%. So to fact check, the World Health Organization says the coronavirus death rate is 3.4%. President Trump lies that the World Health Organization is wrong.
2: The number is 3.4%. 3.4% is what being reported around the world. Much the death rate. The percentage is 3.4%. And no hunts from the president can change that.
4: Trump lied about the most recent World Health Organization estimate that the global death rate of coronavirus is 3.4%.
1: The 3.4% death rate was wrong. And WHO data later updated it to a fraction of 1%. Let's go back into history.
3: So what is important to note there, and this thing goes on for a long time, this is from the great Kevin Bass, I got it off of Twitter. And it's a montage showing all of the late night talk show hosts and all of our news media, uh, talk, you know, saying that the World Health Organization says it's 3.4% and how dare you contradict the experts at the World Health Organization. And then of course when Trump said it was much lower than that, then they had to go all in and Demonized Trump saying he was a tool and a moron and all the rest of it. And then in the end, it turns out that he was correct. Uh, but we move on. Uh, so I knew right off the bat that 3.4% was ridiculous. Cause when they, when they were doing the calculation, basically what they did was they took all the very sickest people that went into the hospital and of the very sick people that were in the hospital, 3.4% of those were dying. But, what they left out of the data was that there was a ton of people that were not symptomatic or so minimally symptomatic that they weren't in the hospital. So saying that getting a COVID infection was going to give you a risk of 3.4% of dying uh, was a purposeful lie, in my opinion, purposeful because nobody is that much of an idiot to, to not be able to calculate those statistics. It was done on purpose. Um, and then we were, being coerced to accept that covid was a very dangerous disease which in the beginning to be clear so that we don't get attacked the initial covid strains uh were were risky and and dangerous to a certain cohort of people basic, basically older patients with comorbid conditions but young kids school age kids were never at risk never at risk, never at risk, right? We've talked about this many times. Even when you look at the CDC data, uh, their risk of dying of COVID or having serious problems from COVID was less than that of the flu. So the idea that we had to get our school-age children vaccinated with a new vaccine that people didn't really understand all the ramifications of, which is what I was saying in the beginning, and if people roll the tape from uh, back in 2020 and 2021, I was simply saying uh, that whether or not you get a vaccine is a personal decision based on your own assessment of the data. And in my opinion, for myself and my family, I did not believe that it was worth taking on a new experimental Gene-altering vaccine, and i that it was obvious to me that that's what it was, and I've explained it many times in this show. That's not misinformation. That's a simple fact, and I'm going to prove it to you by um, playing some of the uh, um, CEOs at Bayer uh, a- admitting it at the World uh, Health Forum, or sorry, the World Health Summit, uh, that this was gene-altering therapy and that we were at relatively low risk of having problems from the covid and so I didn't want to take it. But yet— that wasn't good enough, right? We were all being pressured. We were all uh, having our ability to go to school and participate in events and travel and our ability to keep our job, right? That's ultimately what got me was the moment that Joe Biden made it a mandate. I had all of the hospitals I worked at basically tell me, you have to the end of the week to get your shot. And so I ended up getting the Johnson & Johnson shot because that one was the killed vaccine. That was at least not the MRI mRNA gene altering therapy, but I did know at the time because I just did basic research that it was associated with an increased risk of clots. And so I took aspirin for a month after getting my vaccine. And I'm just telling you this, this was me, not Dr. Scott Barber, but just a citizen doing my own research before I did something. And they kind of put a gun to my head, a metaphorical one, and I was forced to get that injection. And it really irritated me. It was a really a bitter pill for me to swallow when I had to go and do that. And then of course we remember, I always like to play this Rachel Maddow clip and I apologize if you guys are sick of hearing it, but the dripping righteous indignation, she's just so smug and just, uh, she's just so condescending. She just, she just, she's just gross. There's no other way to put it, but she just really encompasses all of these forces that were trying to force us uh to get the vaccine. Let's listen to her again.
0: It means that instead of the vaccine being able, excuse me, it means for instead of the virus being able to hop from person to person to person to person, spreading and spreading, sickening some of them, but not all of them. And the ones that it doesn't sicken don't know they have it. And then they give it to even more people because they didn't recognize they were right. Instead of the virus being able to hop from person to person to person, potentially mutating and becoming more virulent and drug resistant along the way. Now we know that the. Come on. Stops. With every vaccinated person. A vaccinated person gets exposed to the virus. The virus does not infect them. The virus cannot then use that person to go anywhere else. It cannot use a vaccinated person as a host to go get more people. That means the vaccines will get us to the end of this. If we just
3: so you see what she's saying there too it's even the way she phrases it right the if you get the vaccine then the the virus can't use you as a host to go and get other people right it's so basically making the argument that if you don't get vaccinated, you are knowingly and purposely being part of the evil vector that's spreading this disease and it's just it was just really disgusting because in a situation where you've got a government on a group of governments, because this was a worldwide thing, forcing us to take a new experimental medicine. And they're trying to argue that we are basically uh, being dangerous to society, that people that were hesitant to get vaccines uh, for this particular disease, that we were the problems. You would think that they had good evidence and, and a good understanding that the vaccine was safe and effective and that the virus was deadly and that this needed to be done. And this is kind of the only way that a society would allow this state to force us to take a new experimental gene altering therapy. And anybody that tried to resist was just attacked and just pressured. And, uh you know, it was just a horrible time. And I don't want people to forget what it was like because this is an election year and who knows what's coming down the pike. But. This is um, a clip f- that I got off of Twitter from Concerned Citizen. And uh, this is basically a montage of all of the coercion that went on in Australia. Now, th- it's not the United States, but we know that this happened worldwide, right, in a lot of countries. I want you to just listen to no how this no one went.
4: was forced to have the vaccination. You must have been fully aware that people, nurses, doctors people to have their jobs to keep their jobs were forced to have the vaccination now do you retract your statement that they were not forced
5: Uh, senator no i i believe firmly that
6: nobody was forced to have a vaccine get the jab or risk losing your job that's the ultimatum facing hundreds of thousands of essential workers tonight i believe everybody was offered an opportunity to get a vaccine or not get a vaccine. I don't believe that anybody was forced to take a vaccine. Coercion is not consent, but that won't matter for authorised workers if they want to keep their job. Well, then they won't be going to work. Nobody was forced to have a vaccine. If you make the judgement to not get vaccinated and you reckon you can wait out us or the publican or whoever you want to think you're waiting out... Nobody was forced to have a vaccine. Life will become very difficult for the unvaccinated from January 31. Nobody was forced to have a vaccine. No gym, no yoga classes, no gigs, no dance dance floors, no hospital or aged care visits. Nobody was forced to have a vaccine. Message so snuffed out at Mooney Ponds, Knox and Mordialic by police.
5: I'm
6: not taking lectures on freedom. Nobody was forced to have a
5: vaccine.
0: If an employer allows an unvaccinated staff member on site, they can be fined more than $21,000 and the business will be hit with almost a $110,000 fine. Workers who falsely claim they've had the jab will wear a $10,000 fine.
6: Nobody was forced to have a vaccine. About some people not, uh, not wanting to take vaccines. Nobody was forced to have a vaccine. If you think you can not have a vaccine... Just because you don't want to have a vaccine. Nobody was forced to have a vaccine. What a hide you have. What, what a ridiculous position is that. Nobody was forced to have a vaccine. Don't play that game of let's just wait them out uh, and then we'll be able to do everything we want to do and have not got jabbed. No, that, that will not be the case here. Nobody was forced to have a vaccine.
1: It's a little bit controversial, the mandate, because some people, they feel uh, they active and stronger to the mandate but also on the other hand it works nobody was forced to have a vaccine that they put a, a mandate actually they put mandate if you don't get vaccinated and you're above 60 years old 100 euros per month penalty. Fine.
6: 100 euros fine. per nobody month. nobody was forced
1: to have a vaccine because they work I've seen it even at Pfizer we were we had to make a a, a mandate for of people and uh, although we were at 90% but this 90 was not moving and it moved to 97%. Up to what?
3: See they're bragging about how this coercion uh, got the uh the uh you know the 90, 90 plus percent of people complied with the mandate and You see the the way these tyrants, you know, that it's just like, if you think you're going to get away with not getting a vaccine, you got another thing coming. Now, data is coming out and it's kind of it's kind of horrific for them. Right. Because, you know, it would be one thing if the vaccine uh, had no signs of of efficacy, but also was safe, like it didn't really matter if you took the vaccine they could kind of just move along and we could forget about the fact that they locked us down, prevented us from going to our jobs. Uh, they shut down our churches. I just got a little memo from my church like, hey, how do you feel about our church and all this kind of stuff? Like, please fill out the questionnaire. And it was like, oh, no, I used to come a lot. I used to donate money and everything. Would you recommend our church? I would never recommend your church. Oh, please explain. And I was like, oh, I'll explain. You guys shut down the churches at a time when we needed you most. The world was supposedly going through this big pandemic, and they were keeping open liquor stores and strip clubs, but we weren't able to go to church. And that, I, for one, am still so angry about. I'm never going to let this go. And I'm hoping that you guys won't either, because there was a massive effort to force us uh, to get vaccinated. Uh, of course, we remember um, – at the time, uh, again, not even, not necessarily even as a doctor, but just as a concerned citizen, I was doing my research and it became obvious that hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin were highly effective, um, at preventing COVID and, uh, you know, incredibly safe and medicines that had been used, you know, hydroxychloroquine has been used for decades and decades and decades, literally has like one of the safest profiles of any drug ever. And if you had a child that was going on a mission trip to some country that had a, a malaria uh, risk, you would give your child this drug without even thinking twice about it. And then all of a sudden, it was like, oh, hydroxychloroquine has this great cardiac risk. And, you know, of course, Trump mentioned it. And then that was the end of it. As soon as Trump mentioned it, then everybody, all the long knives had to come out for him and discrediting it. And we, of, of course, remember the two major journals, The Lancet, and the New England Journal of Medicine coming out with their study saying that not only was hydroxychloroquine ineffective at uh, treating COVID, that it was also dangerous. And then let's read from uh, this article. The Lancet retracts medical study critical of hydroxychloroquine. Study results were designed for political purposes. huh? This is in Sundance on June 4th, 2020. The medical journal Lancet has now fully retracted their prior claim scientific study against the use of hydroxychloroquine. The Lancet study was quickly and purposefully used by all major media outlets to attack President Trump for his advocacy of the drug as an effective treatment for the COVID-19 virus. It now appears that the purpose of the fraudulent scientific study conducted by a sketchy outfit called Sergisir, uh, who mysteriously appeared only after the Trump advocated for the treatment, uh, was to weaponize medicine, weaponize uh, medicine for political purposes, and that's kind of a major tenet of this show, right? Is that you know healthcare is a powerful two, tool for politics, and that that's one of the reasons that it's just so important that we have freedom of our healthcare. And uh, it says uh, if we go on in this article it now appears the purpose of the fraudulent scientific study conducted by a set a sketchy outfit called Surgisphere, who mysteriously appeared only after President Trump advocated for the treatment was to weaponize medicine for political purposes. After they were exposed for their role in pushing this manipulated data, and by manipulated, they mean it was completely made up. The Lancet now has fully retracted their study in an attempt to retain credibility, and of course, we've talked about The Lancet and The New England Journal many times on this show, and uh, credibility is something that, uh, you know, they lost, you know, once your credibility is lost, it's lost. And the reality is, I don't actually look at them any differently. This is kind of one of the major points I'm always trying to point out to you guys that just because you show me a study in a journal doesn't end debate for all time. And it doesn't mean that I accept that study as uh, flawless and irrefutable. You know, that's how you should look at uh, every time we get a new study, it just adds to the body of evidence. And we've talked about it on this show many times, how we think one thing one day and then another thing another day. And, uh, you know, this was just another sign to me that something was amiss. The fact that it's like, wait a second, why can't I just ask questions? And why can't I talk about things? And why are they coming out with these studies against hydroxychloroquine? When, I, when I've been using this medicine in orthopedics, it's used to treat some autoimmune diseases. So I'm familiar with it. And I know that it's very safe. Why all of a sudden are they coming out with studies saying that it's dangerous? Like at a time when we could use it mostly, I was just like, this doesn't make sense to me. So, you know, they're forcing us to take this uh vaccine. They're forcing us to be locked down and all of this. And, uh you know, when you ask them now, they'll be like, well, you know, we were just trying to, you know make our best decisions at a difficult time when people were dying left and right. And we just, you know, we just had to figure it out. And then uh, I remember uh, they used news media to tell us these things. And then let's remember when um, Rochelle Walensky, the director of the CDC at the time declared on MSNBC that vaccinated people do not get sick and, and do not carry the virus. Like, Wow. This is one of our leaders. Right. She's a three letter agency. So, of course, we have to defer to the CDC at all times. Right. That's what they say forever and ever. If if the CDC says it, it just has to be they don't make mistakes. And let's just listen to what Rochelle Walensky had to say on March 29th of twenty twenty one. Our data from the CDC today suggest,
0: um, you know, that that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick, um, and, and that it's not just in the clinical trials, but it's also in real world data. Our data from the CDC today suggest, um, you know, that that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick, um, and, and that it's not just in the clinical trials, but it's also in real world data.
3: Okay, so we know that she was lying because we have emails that show that she was concerned about breakthrough cases uh, in emails uh, that were released by F- uh, Freedom of Information Act. And also, it just doesn't make any sense. You got this new vaccine. Uh, listen, just speaking as a doctor, you got this new uh, vaccine, experimental. Um, they haven't had it very long. And uh, she's making these statements. They're just – we're just obj- – objectively false right off the bat. Lots of people who were vaccinated were getting sick. I was seeing it as a physician, and it was just another thing like, now my antenna is way up. Like, what in the heck is going on? And, um, you know, if you think about the mindset of the people that were per- perpetrating this fraud on us, this whole lockdown scam and all this, uh, you remember Dr. Fauci? Uh, You know, he was out there telling us what he thought about things. And it was always like, get vaccinated, get vaccinated, get vaccinated. I want you to listen to what he really thinks about it. This is from the great Kevin Bass.
4: Now, this newly resurfaced interview reveals what he really wanted
1: out
0: of all those COVID mandates.
1: Once people feel empowered
2: and protected legally, you were going to have schools, universities, And colleges are going to say, you want to come to this college, buddy? You're going to get vaccinated. It's been proven that when you make it difficult for people in their lives, they lose their ideological bull****.
3: So basically, I'm sitting here as an independent and free citizen and highly educated, and I would argue – uh, I'm more than capable of making my own medical decisions. And I look at the data myself and I say, you know what? I'm going to pass on this one. And he's saying like that that's ideological bullshit. uh man, the nerve of these government bureaucrats and the idea the that – it's like it's amazing to me how people get into government. They get a little power. And they just become these little tyrants. The little tyrant comes out in them. And, uh, you know, he'll, you know, I've played it on this show many times. I didn't coerce anybody. Dude, you guys were obviously coercing people and you were obviously, you knew that that's what you had to do to force people to do this. And that's what you were doing is forcing, uh, people to do it. Now, um, so here we are, right? We've got, uh, we've got our agencies and our media and all this trying to tell us that we have to get vaccinated, right? And then now we've gone through COVID and now people are having, uh, vaccine injuries and, you know, COVID didn't really seem to be mitigated by, uh, by the vaccine and they'll, they'll keep talking to about it today. Like it was a total success, but it's a complete joke. It wasn't. COVID happened how it happened, whether you were vaccinated or not. And the vaccine caused a lot of problems. And so now all of these clowns are getting pulled uh, in front of Congress and they're you know not nearly as much as what they should be. I mean, we have a lot of problems with this and the whole experience needs to be examined greatly. And maybe one day if we have a free and fair and open government, we could actually examine this stuff so it doesn't happen again. But we are getting little little tidbits of uh, at least information, even though nobody is really being punished for what happened. But let's listen to what um, in her final congressional testimony on June of 2023, outgoing CDC director Rochelle Walensky admitted at a national level, we had never been able to get hospitalization, vaccination and COVID data. We did not get data in aggregate on vaccination and hospitalizations all that data that you are filling out in the electronic medical records does not translate into public health data so she's basically saying it's not my fault i didn't have the data and she's being interviewed by a friend of the show doc uh, congressman and doctor and pilot and marine and all the rest uh, rich mccormick let's listen to this little little back and forth
2: during the opening statements, uh, you said uh, or actually during the open question you said uh, that we didn't get information on vaccinated hospitalizations, which surprised me. I thought we did have some of that. Uh, I imagine that also carried over to ICU visits and probably deaths too, because if we don't have that
0: just to be clear, we don't have that at a national level. We at CDC collect data and cohorts so that we can follow that for vaccine effectiveness studies. But at a national level, we get hospitalization data. We get hospitalization for COVID data. But at a national level, we have never been able to get hospitalization, vaccination, and COVID. Yeah,
2: so that that, that worries me because it seems to skew the data. And I see you nod your head, yes, I agree. Well,
0: well, it's, I think it's it just speaks to the real challenges in our data flows and our ability to give data back to the American people when we don't have full line of sight of all the data that people are interested in. couldn't
2: agree with you more, which I spent so much time, every time I admitted a patient, every time anybody was tested for I filled out an egregious amount of EHR uh, paperwork in order to answer every question before I did any treatment or any.
3: So just to interject there, Congressman Rich McCormick is an emergency room physician, and what he's pointing out there is when he was working in the emergency room and people came in, he was told, man, I got to fill out all this freaking paperwork. And it was painful. Like, uh, you know, everything about when were you vaccinated, how often were you vaccinated, what's your age, all this kind of stuff. And in Rich's mind, he's thinking as a physician working in the emergency room, he's providing this data so that our vault vaunted CDC uh, can take care of us and know what's going on. Here's Rochelle Walensky going, yeah, I didn't have access to that data, so all the mistakes we made, it's not my fault. That's basically what's going on here.
2: Admission. <clears throat> and yet we never collected data on one of the most important statistics of all, which is vaccinated patients and the effectiveness of hospitalizations versus ICUs versus deaths. There wasn't a fair conversation. It seems like that was avoided. Were you asking for that information, or was that just something that they didn't want to collect?
0: So, Dr. McCormick, let me just be clear. what i want we were looking at that in our vaccine effectiveness cohorts in our vision and IV cohorts so that we could report that out on vaccine effectiveness data we were looking at that because we knew that that was critically important but i do want to emphasize that we did not get data in aggregate we are again just to be clear we're not looking for pii here we did we did not get data in aggregate um on vaccination and hospitalizations all that data that you're falling filling out in the ehr does not translate into public health data, and that is really why I've said our data highways are so clearly important if we are going to report on what is, you know, if on the outcomes that people are asking for, and our data authorities are so clearly important so we can present those data in aggregate. Um,
3: so I would just tell you guys that as a uh, as a physician and as a regular person, uh, it would seem to me That if you were going to force me to take a new experimental medication or vaccine that you would know about it, like I would just like you would know about it. Right. You would have studied it and you would know it's safe and effective and all this kind of stuff. And it seems like after the fact, I'm listening to these so-called experts at the CDC and the FDA and all the rest of it. They're, they're basically claiming victim status. Oh, I didn't have access to the data. Oh, you know, we did the best we could with the, with the data available. We just heard Rochelle Walensky saying, if you get the vaccinated, what we're seeing in the data is like you don't get sick. And that just wasn't true. And so, you know, this, this needs to be understood and it needs to be seen by people so that they don't do this again. Cause as I mentioned, we are in an election year and things are not looking good for the incumbent. And so I, I for one, do not feel like they're just going to, oh, let's just have an honest and fair and open election and and see what happens. You know, I don't see that happening, right? Because it seems to me if different people were in power, a lot of these people would have a lot to answer for. And I don't know that they're going to be willing to sit that way. Now... um. <clears throat> Deborah Burks, of course, was on the COVID task force, and she was Fauci's right-hand person. And uh, she's also – this also comes from the great Kevin Bass. I got it off of Twitter. And she's also being confronted with, uh, hey, you guys said this stuff worked, and yet it didn't, and, like, why – what do you have to say for yourself? And and Deborah Burks saying, well, I think it was hope. Uh, I mean, I'm just like – if listen, if I had a close family member that – you know, had some sort of serious side effect or God forbid died, uh, from, uh, this, this vaccine. Uh, this just would not cut it for me. So let's listen to Deborah Burks.
0: You cannot make the conclusion that the vaccine will do better than natural infection, although it can often do slightly better. I
6: think that's, I mean, you're an expert. You were on the task force. You were part of this, this effort when you were in the previous administration. And you're saying in this administration that you can't rule out the fact that our government was lying to us when they told us the vaccinated could not get the virus.
0: I don't know about their discussions that they had in the task force. So I can't tell you that. I can tell you as a family member who had individuals that were susceptible, of course we got everybody vaccinated. But we still use layered protection during surges because I knew potentially the vaccine immunity would wane like natural immunity waned. And there was evidence that every four months reinfection was occurring in South Africa.
6: Wow. When the government told us that the vaccinated couldn't transmit it. Was that a lie or was that a guess? Or is it the same answer?
3: I think it was hope. The- I think it was hope, man. I, I, I don't know about you folks, but that's, that just doesn't cut it. That is not what you said. And that is not why you shut down my businesses, our businesses. That's not why you locked us down. That's not why you kept our kids out of school. And, you know, young kids uh missing out on sports activities, missing out on their ability to have a, a, a junior year or a senior year where they could have, Excelled at something and had a lifetime memory and helped them get into college and kids not being able to go out on dates and have first kisses and things like that. I mean, the, the magnitude of how they disrupted society on this just ridiculous, um, situation and these, these arguments now that they're being forced to answer for their crimes and that's what they are, uh, is, It is ridiculous. Anyway, we're going to go to a break. I'll be right back. You're listening to Dr. Scott Barber on the Doctor's Lounge. This is America Web Radio. We'll be right back.
4: Thank you.
7: In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients, dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs for patientcarefoundation.org that's www.docs the number 4 patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax deductible donation and join the fight along with us thank you you're listening to America's
1: web radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com thank you for listening
3: Welcome back, everybody, to the Doctors' Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber, and you're listening to me on America's Web Radio. And we went out to break listening to Deborah Burks, former task force member with Dr. Fauci, the COVID task force. And Congressman Jim Jordan asked her in congressional session, was it a lie when you told us that vaccinated people couldn't get uh, infected and couldn't transmit it? And Deborah Birx resplied, replied, I think it was hope that the vaccine would work in that way. I think it was hope. God forbid anybody's out there who lost a loved one or had a child that had any kind of uh, problem uh, regarding the vaccine or anybody who lost their job or their livelihood or people who were canceled for any reason, me included. Uh, that's just not going to cut it for me now. Let's fast forward now. I wanted you to, I wanted to kind of set the stage for what it was like back when they said it's 3.4% mortality and Trump is a tool for trying to go against the experts at the World Health Organization. We had the, uh, I paid you that montage of all of the media and politicians in Australia basically saying things to citizens. If you think you're going to get away without getting vaccinated, you can think about it. Remember Arnold Schwarzenegger? Screw your freedom. Screw your freedom. Like it was it was like basically a crime against humanity. If you're like, uh, hey, I'm just a regular person. I'm sort of looking at things. You got this new experimental drug. I don't want to take it. And I'm also noticing that I'm not really at risk from this disease because I'm young and healthy. Uh, uh You know, it, it now we're through the whole pandemic and now they're trying to whitewash history and they're trying to rewrite and memory hole everything that happened so that they can make the argument that they never told you know you hear fauci i never told anybody i never told anybody i i never shut down anything i never mandated anything i'll have to play that one i should have pulled that clip up again too but now we're starting to actually get some data and despite the fact that uh the powers that be are doing everything in their power to prevent you from hearing the data it's still getting out there and i went over this article from cheryl atkinson um Noticing that COVID vaccinated kids were more likely, more likely to be hospitalized for respiratory illness, uh, than unvaccinated. And, uh, so she got CDC data and went through it. And when you, you look at the data, uh, the CDC data notes that COVID vaccinated kids are more likely to be hospitalized for respiratory illness. And it was even worse than that. They had higher mortality. And uh, yet when you read the CDC study, they say that if you get vaccinated, you have a lower chance of catching COVID. And it's kind of like you missed the lead. And so we had Dr. Harvey Risch in the study. He's MD, PhD, Professor Emeritus of Epidemiology at Yale School of Public Health. He stated that uh, after reading the study, this means that upon visiting the hospital emergency departments compared to unvaccinated children, vaccinated children had an increased risk of inpatient hospitalization, very statistically significantly so. According to the study, children who were vaccinated for COVID were also more likely to have undergone intensive care, require supplemental oxygen, and die. Despite this, the CDC study observed that receipt of two or more mRNA COVID shots was 40% effective, at preventing COVID-19 associated ER visits and hospitalization. Dr. Risch also noted, no one cares whether the vaccines reduce COVID associated hospitalizations if at the same time it's increasing non-COVID associated hospitalization. And, uh, he, I went over this study last time, but you know, it's, it's something that I've pointed out on this show many times that you cannot read the headline of an article and know what's going on. You have to actually read the data yourself because oftentimes the, when you actually read the data yourself, the uh it, the data tells you something completely opposite from what the authors are trying to share with you. And I'm going to show you how this works too at the end. I want you to listen to the uh, ridiculous Chris Cuomo uh, CNN host uh, talking to his own personal physician and trying to make the argument that we need to You know, we need to accept that there's some side effects, but people with long COVID are a problem. He's interviewing his doctor and he's so obtuse. He can't even realize that his doctor's going, his own doctor is kind of going, no man, this vaccine was really bad. And it's like, uh, no matter what she said, he kept trying to say, yeah, but we should all get vaccinated, right? It's really quite astounding. And it helps us get into the mind of these people, these crazy people. Now I don't want to, I don't want to spread misinformation myself. OK, all I want to point out is there are lots of people out there who are having questions about the covid vaccine and we're starting to hear information uh, that suggests that these vaccines are a problem. And I would think I would think that if people in charge who knew for a fact that the vaccines were safe and effective would welcome these discussions and also be concerned about just not silencing people, but actually contradicting the information being purported. Now we know that these vaccines are associated with increased strokes. That's just something we've been seeing. We've all recognized these professional athletes, soccer players and you know, the Paul Volter from Canada. All these people are just dropping dead left and right. And we're being told medical issues, uh, but it's unusual. We know in our minds, like I'm not used to seeing that. Uh, but let's listen here. The CDC says that they they'll start investigating strokes associated with the vaccines. This is a Fox News report.
0: saying there has been... En-
3: Hang on a second.
6: Uh,
0: ...the COVID vaccine. The CDC is now saying that there has been enough cases of people who have had the vaccine, received the vaccine, and then suffered a stroke. The agency will now be investigating any potential links between the shots and the strokes in some of those patients. So we are just...
3: So let me ask you something. How bad do you think it has to be for the cdc to say all right i guess we'll look into this stroke thing right like it has to be bad because you know they'd be just brushing it under the rug if they could get away with it and they are in a lot of cases they're just trying to ignore the information and um i've got a lot of data here let's um uh, you know and the other thing too is the CDC, now they want to study about strokes? I thought you said it was safe and effective. Why didn't you study about strokes before you made us all have to take the vaccine? This is Dr. Asim Malhortra. He's a cardiologist in the United Kingdom, and he's kind of like a Dr. Drew kind of guy over there. And I want you to hear him uh, uh talking about his conversation with two former Tory ministers uh, in regard to the mRNA-linked uh, excess deaths. Listen to what he has to say.
6: I've now spoken to two former conservative party ministers. One on one, I've had lots of time with both of these people. I won't name them because I want to protect their confidentiality for obvious reasons. But through those conversations, one, there was an acknowledgement that the COVID-19 vaccines, have, of course, a big problem and are probably a big factor behind the excess deaths. But the second issue, James, is this. One of those ministers said to me, a scene, accepting what I've said, um, there's a big problem with getting this out before the general election because this essentially may collapse the government. I mean, they, they, you know, one of the prides of this particular government has been the rollout of the vaccine. And interestingly, as you know, James, only a few days ago, the BBC reported on the fact that during the COVID inquiry, a decision has been made that any concerns and issues related yeah. to the COVID vaccine, specifically with heart issues is going to only occur after the general election. That tells you everything you need to know.
3: Boy, that sure does tell you everything Absolutely. you need to know and it seems like a lot of that is happening in this country as well. Um <clears throat> let's listen to Dr. Drew. I mean Dr. Drew's got a show and he's talking about uh permanently uh damaged heart problems in people. Let's I got this one from Texas Lindsey on uh Twitter, so hat tip Texas Lindsey.
1: People are like, well, it's mild, it's mild, it's no big deal, it's, it's self-limited. Uh, look, in my world, throughout my entire career, 40-year career, myocarditis is a medical emergency. It's a dire problem. A publication just came out five days ago in circulation, a major cardiac cardiology journal. An excellent study, and it showed, it took my breath away. I didn't know why it wasn't headline news. It's a large study, and it showed that about approximately half of the young males that got myocarditis had permanent heart damage. Yeah. Permanent. That means that a We don't know what percentage are going to be disabled by this as they get older, are going to develop heart failure, or are going to need cardiac transplants, some of them. It's breathtaking, this study. And why it wasn't a big headline, I've sort of sent it around a little bit, because I I don't understand why people aren't reacting to it. So in a 27-year-old male, the illness is a nothing. So the risk is, so the vaccine is all risk. Why the push? Why are we pushing? And I think... Put your legal head on for a second. That universities are going to be in big trouble for having mandated young people to get that vaccine. Okay. Because people are going to get sick, and they're going to have long term consequences, and they should sue those schools for having forced them to take, the, take a I agree medical with that.
0: intervention. 100% they should sue. And if anybody tries to force you from this point forward, get a fake card. It's not that hard. Go ahead Google it. Get a fake well, card. And, and, and again, don't comply. We
1: have a good treatment. We have Paxlovid. Why? And you people have all I'm kinds of things. I'm
0: just you have to say you've gotten a shot to get yep, in. Right. Get a fake one. Just yeah. Google it on the internet. It's bullshit. And they're going to create these bullshit rules. You can create your bullshit way around them. It's all just like a theater. So let's, okay, let's
3: act. I'll act. All right. <clears throat> so the Paxlovid, uh, I, I don't really think very strongly about that. I'll get into that on another show. And also, it's kind of funny to me, like, Dr. Drew, like, come on, man. Are you not smart enough to realize that the same people that you're going, gosh, I wonder why this isn't front page news about the myocarditis from the vaccine, that those are kind of the same people that are giving you the Paxlovid? I mean, like, come on, bro. Uh Why not ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, stuff that's been around forever that we know is safe and effective? Um Not to mention the virulence of the new strains of COVID are uh, uh, much lower than what they had been. Let's listen to Dr. Peter McCullough. And all I'm trying to do is point out the fact that worldwide, uh, people are having questions. That's all we're saying here. I, for people that wanna, you know, say we're spreading misinformation, I'm just pointing out that there's lots of smart people out there discussing problems with the COVID vaccine. Here's, uh, Dr. Peter McCullough. He's got some stuff to say.
1: So when you look at these numbers, and I mean, we get numbers from the Cleveland Clinic, from the nation of Australia, from nations in Europe, from places here in America. And the numbers, study after study, when when they're actually revealed and the truth is told, these jabs were not good news, were they?
4: They weren't. In fact, the deaths that have occurred after the vaccine are of great concern. Our CDC reports about 1,150 Americans have died right in the vaccine center or a few hours uh, afterwards. That's the reason why they have crash carts uh, with defibrillators uh, in the vaccine centers. And then that um, transition to the the pharmacies, Uh, CDC verifying over 18,000 Americans uh, reported to them have died. And and the people reporting, like myself, believe the vaccines uh, have caused the death. And that's underreported, probably 30 to 1. So that's how we get to Somewhere between 500 and 600,000 uh, individuals may have died of the vaccine in the United States. In the first year alone, Pantazotkos and Seligman from Columbia came in with an estimate that was concordant, as well as Mark Skidmore from Michigan State University using other methods. Uh, worldwide, Dennis Rancourt from Montreal, 17 million could be the death toll. And Steve, not a single country has taken these off the market.
3: Not a single country has taken these off the market. It seems to me like there's at least enough concern out there that we ought to start talking about it, don't you guys? I mean, uh, it seems so. Listen to Ed Dowd on Dr. Drew discussing vaccine excess deaths. He's also got some concerns. Well, um,
5: we kind of tied everything together, all our work, and we did an analysis of the U.S. specifically because we have the best data in terms of disabilities and whatnot, and uh, using the US Bureau of Labor Statistics coupled with excess mortality. And uh, we put together a vaccine damage report. It's our best stab at uh, estimating the human cost, which is the, the devastating cost, and then the economic cost, two separate things. And um, from our analysis, the human cost from the mRNA vaccines, and if it's not the vaccines, it's something else. So we're assuming vaccines. If it's not, needs to be investigated. Uh, the full stop um 300,000 excess deaths in 21 and 22 from the vaccine now we think that's conservative um disabilities we put out 1.36 million cumulative and injuries uh is a new number we came up with we came at it from the uh, pfizer clinical trials the data there the two months of the uh blinded study plus what we're seeing in the uh absence data and the uh, work time loss data, we came up with 26.6 million vaccine injured, which we're saying chronically sick and missing work. And so that's a total of about 30 million Americans, about 10% of the population. Um, that's actually fits with what we saw in the adverse reactions in the clinical trials. So this is, this is not too far off that number.
3: Okay. So basically Ed Dowd and his group are just looking at statistics that are put out by our government bodies. And did you hear what he just said? 10% of the population are 30 million people either dead or injured by the vaccine. Uh I just want to talk about it. And it's still on the vaccine schedule for a disease that has no chance of hurting the vast majority of us. It's just baffling to me Um you know, one of the things I'm always trying to explain to you guys or trying to warn you about on this show just from having been on the inside of this stuff for a long time is I don't trust anybody and it's not just in medicine, it's in anything, my bankers or anything else. I don't trust anybody just because of their education or their position or any of that stuff. I trust every individual at that moment. So, even somebody who is a great uh, you know, a great advocate or a great knowledgeable person at one point in their life doesn't mean that at another point in their life, they're not. And the sad thing about human beings, and I was just explaining this to my daughter, who uh, she went and had her uh, competition uh, for GHP for singing. She's a fabulous singer. And that's the Georgia honor P. I forget what P stands for, but it's a big deal. And she had to go and compete. And she said she screwed up on her uh, sight reading a portion of it. And, you know, I told her, listen, that's part of being human. You know, we are not perfect. We make mistakes and we're also fallible and we're all subject to sin. And, um, for that reason, we have to have healthcare freedom because our healthcare decisions are some of the most important decisions that we will ever make in our life. And the idea that we're going to hand over our, these important decisions to these bureaucrats like Fauci and Burks and Walensky is utterly ridiculous to me. And then, uh, I want you to talk about, you know, you think like well these great experts are using significant um uh information to make their decisions, they're not. Um I want you to listen to um well listen, I'm going to we're gonna, we're almost to the end of the show here. I got a bunch more stuff that I wanted to close the loop on and so I'm going to bring this this up next time because we got uh <clears throat> the World Health Organization the the world health organization pandemic treaty is going around and the u.s is considering being part of it and uh you have dr merrill nass she's an mep uh uh at the european union and she basically made the statement that we are undergoing a soft coup under the pretext of pandemic preparedness and biosecurity agenda uh The treaty will remove human rights protections, allow censorship and digital passports will require all governments to comply with the who guidance and declare a pandemic whenever they decide to. The World Health Organization pandemic treaty will allow the who to take over jurisdiction of everything by simply declaring that climate change, animals, plants, waters and ecosystems are all central to health. So we're in dangerous times, folks. You need to vote accordingly to try and restore healthcare freedom in this country. i got a lot more to get to to close the loop on this on the next show. Uh, we'll see you next time. You're listening to Dr. Scott Barber on the Doctor's Lounge. This is America's Web Radio. I'm out. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests
0: appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station.
7: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.